uh, we've been having revival uh, here this week. I, I am from Kentucky. My name is Zach Humphrey. I run a ministry called Public Proclaimer Ministries. Uh, I travel and I preach more outside than I do inside. And when I say that, I literally mean outside. Uh, I preach on college campuses, outside the bars and clubs, uh, wherever it is I can find people that need the gospel, uh, with God's help, that's where I go. And so uh, I see that as the calling of an evangelist, is to go uh, preach the gospel, whether or not you get a paycheck or not, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so uh, that's kind of my idea of things. That's what the Holy Spirit put on my heart many years ago, and that's what I've been trying to do since then. I'm 25 years old. I was saved when I was 18. Uh, well, 17, 18, and now my family is born again, and my sister is a Christian, and we are redeemed, and, and now we're serving God. And uh, so uh, that's that. Amen. My, uh, I have a new baby at home. He's nine months old. His name is Abel. My middle name is Cain, so hopefully I don't kill him. You know, I don't expect to do that. Not yet, anyhow. Um, so, uh, they're with me in spirit. They're not here with me right now. And I also want to give a little insert there for my mom and happy mother's day to all the mothers that are here. Uh, that is an immense responsibility and an honor. I believe it's an honor. It's probably the best honor a woman can really take part in, uh, in some ways. And so, I mean, you're stewarding a next generation of people, uh, so it's it's a huge responsibility, and I'm thankful for my wife, who's now a mother, and for my mom, uh, who shepherded me, still continues to do so. So uh, I think I'm thankful for them. And so we've been preaching uh, nightly here, and we'll be doing it again tonight, and then the next Monday night and Tuesday night at 6:30, I believe it is. Service begins tomorrow night and Tuesday night at 5:30. We've been doing a preemptive teaching. Uh, and for those that have been involved in the teaching and in the preaching, I'm sure that maybe you've been able to tell how that may have helped to give more sense to the sermon and, and fill it in. And so I've been following a systematic in some ways. Uh, the first night we preached about sin and what sin is. And just to do a little recapping, sin uh, is a violation of the obligation I have towards you and towards God. Uh, you being made in God's image gives you inherent worth and value. And because of that, I am obligated because of God's image on you to love you in a certain way. That's how Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, the law of God, when they came and said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the next one's likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two hangs all of the law. And all of the prophets, all the law, all the prophets. And so because of God's image on you, I'm obligated to love you a certain way. But because of who God is, his person, his character, his holiness, his praiseworthiness, I ought to love him a certain way. Not because he says so, but because I ought to out of who he is because of himself for who he is. I ought to love him for that reason. You can love God because he tells you to, and that's not genuine love, and that's not even genuine obedience. You can grit your teeth and bear it and deny yourself certain pleasures and suppose that is the religion God requires, and it is not. What God requires is loving him from the heart, and he subdues our heart when we contemplate his work on the cross and all that he's done to reconcile us, the influence the cross has in subduing a rebellious and wicked heart. It's the goodness of God that does what? Leads me to repentance. And so that's what we see happening. So that's our obligation to love God supremely and love our neighbor equally to ourselves because of the value they have in and of themselves. And that is the, that's our requirement. That's how we ought to live. But sin is the contrary of that. Sin, in essence, is selfishness. Loving yourself supremely above and putting your life up and above, that being the worthiness of God and His ways and what we ought to do in, in uh, prospering His happiness and what we ought to do towards one another another since your happiness and joy and and, and, and peace and blessedness uh, is as much valuable as my own and we have that responsibility one towards another and towards God and sin is the complete contrary of that and in this light and in this knowledge we all have transgressed and we have 
That's a very misquoted Bible verse. We have sinned. Doesn't say we are sinning and coming short of the glory of God. We have sinned. That's past tense. Those that aren't bringing glory to God are those who are in sin. This is not Christians. This is not believers. We are to be bringing glory to God and loving Him supremely and our neighbor as ourselves by the help and grace of the Holy Spirit. And so that is possible. So what is a man to do under his obligation he's violated? God maintains a good government over all of us. His, his law is love. God's law is love. God's government exists over man to promote love. He exercises, as we talked last night about hell, he exercises punishments and rewards in accordance with man's conduct in order to promote this law of love, in order to promote the peace and blessedness of all. We need God to maintain a kingdom over us. We need him to. The perspective we have as Christians ought not to be the modern day American mindset that government is, a, is, is just, uh, we don't need any law. We're living in a lawless society. No law. That would be the ideal for many today if there was no law and they could do what was right in their own eyes. And the only thing that restricts America from being like Sudan or some other place where you get your head cut off for being a Christian is just tiny little laws on tablets of stone. And apart from that, we would be no different than any other pagan country in this world that we think are the heathen. There's heathen in this city. That are just as wicked against God as some little country out in the foreign lands we call the mission field. This is the mission field. This is the place where we need to live for God. And whenever we have violated God's good law and what he maintains over us. And we've threatened his government with our sin. We've put everyone's well-being at risk. We've affected God's peace and happiness with our sin. You've provoked him with your sin to wrath. He's not, he doesn't want to be a, he doesn't want to be a wrathful God. God desires to live in blessedness and peace and joy. He's provoked to anger. He doesn't want to be. If you do his will, he wouldn't be angry with you. If we do his will, holiness leads to happiness. Sin leads to misery. No matter who you are, what title you have behind your name. No matter what family you come from, no matter what church you go to or the lack thereof, no matter what political party you may hold, no matter who you are, this is binding on us. It's in the nature of things that if I sin, I do you a disservice. And it's the same with God. People very rarely ever consider what their sin does to God. We seem to think of him. He's a fog up in the sky, distant and mystical. And he's some sort of uh, ethereal being that's just separate from our dealings and doings. And he doesn't even seem to really contemplate or, or, or somehow even some hold to this view of God that he's sort of blinded himself today. And, and doesn't see our conduct and doesn't see how we're living as though he were an idiot or an imbecile or blind or, or something like that. God knows our conduct. He knows your life. He's going to hold you accountable for it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds done in our body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. And God maintains and seeks to influence your will as a free moral agent, to a person with a will to choose, to cause you to love him of your own volition and choice. This is the relationship aspect God made you for to begin with. If he wanted robots, he could have surely had them. He could have easily done so. His relationship with us is higher uh, than the animal kingdom in its relationship to God. It's higher than, an, than dirt. It, he has a relationship to all the universe. He created it all. He sustains it in his person. And because of God, all things live and move and have their being. But the relationship aspect is only attained when he subdues our heart by his goodness to love him of our own choice. And against this obligation, we have violated that. I have come Short of the glory of God myself in life. And so the gospel call is. That I can find in the scriptures. That I see consistently reiterated and reiterated and reiterated. What is a man do to be saved? What, what are we to do? In light of having done this. The scripture says in Acts 17 verse 30. And at these times of ignorance God has winked at. But now commands all men everywhere to what? 
Repent. Repent. This is not optional. This is not maybe a, a, a third choice. This is not something you get to put off today and do whenever you're older. This is a command that is presently binding on you as a sinner. Presently binding on you as a person outside of God's will. And we're going to talk about repentance this morning. It is, under our, it is a normal thing for God to expect of mankind to return back to what he knows he ought to be to begin with. We know it by our very own reasoning that God is worthy of our love and we think about him. And when I think about you in the proper light, I know I ought to treat you a certain way. So that is the natural, normal life. That's what we know is our obligation. That is what's binding on us according to God. That's how we ought to live. And repentance is nothing more than a returning back to what you should have been to begin with. What we should have stayed in an innocent state of heart love towards God and towards our neighbor. Repentance is a returning back to such a place. There's a lot of confusion today as to what repentance means. You know, sometimes I don't even use this word a lot whenever I'm preaching in the open air because so few people even know what the word means nowadays. Some of the common misconceptions, it's feeling sorry, people will say. Oh, I feel sorry because I sin. They still keep on sinning, but they say they feel bad for it. You know, I was preaching one time outside of a bar and a lady comes out and and she says, I'll repent tonight when I get home. Is this repentance? Is this is this a get out of hell free card every time I pull it out of my pocket of tricks with God that I get to have my cake, eat it too and pull out my repentance card. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And all of a sudden you get to abstain yourself from the from the consequences of your rebellion. This is not repentance. Is repentance thinking certain thoughts? Uh, uh, I know that, uh, you know, if we go on a street corner and begin to preach, I've had people who are God haters that come up to me and want to shake my hand and say, oh, I'm glad you're here preaching. And they're half drunk or they're doing drugs or or they're uh, promiscuous and living a wicked life, uh, uh, doing something vile. And they come up to me and thank me for doing it because maybe they were raised in a Christian home. Maybe grandma or grandpa was a Christian. And so they have a religious respect to the things of God, but they surely don't have any heart in it. They're not surrendered to God, but they have respect to the things of God. Is that, is that salvation? Is that repentance? No, it's not. Repentance everywhere represented in the Bible is a change of moral character. It is a turning of the heart's action in life toward God and off of self. Therefore, repentance is not something merely intellectual, such as in your understanding, the thought life you have. Repentance is not an emotion. It does not consist in regret or remorse for sin or sorrow in view of what one has done Feelings are passive, are passive and fleeting. This is not repentance. It's not just feeling sorry. It's not just thinking certain thoughts. This is not repentance. And this can be seen when you look back. And I know this is sometimes... Some people think it's unnecessary to go back in the original language. If you want to grow into your Christian experience, I encourage you to get a Strong's Concordance. Use Esword or Blue Letter Bible. And begin to look up the meanings of these words. Because the Bible was written in Greek, not in English. And we get very close to that uh, uh, correctness and all of that through the recorded word of God we have today. I preach out of a King James Bible. Not saying that's a heaven or hell binding. Whether or not you read that one or not. But what, I, what I'm saying is, is that we get some more understanding when we look back at the words God has used to describe repentance. And there are two words that builds the meaning of what repent means for us. In the Greek, there's a word used called metamelome. It means to take care for yourself, to be concerned for oneself. It expresses a change of course as a response to regret, remorse, or sorrow. This is the word used in Matthew 21, 29. It means to take care for oneself, to stop and to consider, to stop and to consider. Then the second word used is metanoio. It means to take an after view or more clearly to change one's mind after taking a reasonable and rational view of the subject. Some of you mothers know this. Go and take a long, hard look at what you've done. Have you ever said that to your kids? Go and take a good, long look. Take a good, long look at what you've done. But is taking a good, long look repenting? No, it is not. It's a process to get you there. It's something that needs to occur. But that in and of itself is not repentance. 
just taking a thought. We think with our mind. We use our intelligence to really consider the course we are on. And after taking this good long look, we make a change of choice, a change of purpose, a change of intention. This is what biblical repentance is. Repentance is a change of the will, not merely of the thoughts in your mind, not merely uh, action uh, in your emotional state. But it is a change of the ultimate intention for why you do what you do, why you live for how you live and what you live for it is a forsaking of the ultimate desire of serving yourself to a desire to lovingly serve and submit oneself to God this is the direct opposite of what the carnal mind is in Romans 8 7 a minding of the flesh a living after and abusing of the nature, making oneself a child of wrath. It's a taking of the nature, the physis, the natural body God has given to you as an instrument. And you use it to gratify self. That's the carnal mind. It's that enmity against God. But now the Bible commands us through the call of repentance to yield yourselves unto God and the end everlasting life. Your instruments, your body was once used for wickedness. Now you ought yield it to God. As instruments of righteousness, Romans 6.16. So we have metamelome, which is to take care for oneself. Metanoio, which is to take a good long look. But then we have the final, the real thing we're getting to. Metanoia. And that's the verb, which means to change one's life. To change one's mind and consequently in doing that, to change one's course of action. Thinking thoughts, feeling emotions, that's all well and good. But until you respond to those thoughts and respond to those emotions by yielding your life, heart, soul, spirit into the hands of God, you have not yet repented. And there are so many who are in the church who have religious affections and have certain thoughts and feel certain emotions. That have never yielded to God. They've never yielded. Can the church we say today be yielded to God? Look at our nation. We're the ones who are supposed to lead it to God. We're supposed to be a light unto the world. If they sit in darkness, it's our fault. If the world goes to hell, at least let them go to hell over our dead bodies of praying and fasting and preaching and witnessing and being an example and doing righteous works and feeding the poor and clothing the sick and visiting those in prison. At least let us do all we can, but we're not because we're not submitted to God. He's trying to get us to repentance. And this is the very thing the church resists, resists, resists. We're okay with feeling certain thoughts because you're in control of that. And we're okay with feeling certain emotions. Hey, I, I can, I, that's my own. I can control that. But whenever it comes to yielding oneself, you yield the control. And that's where things get iffy when a person still wants their own way instead of seeing the foolishness of going one's own way and seeing the wisdom and the intelligence and the righteousness of going God's way. It is a turning of the heart after intelligently considering the course one is on. What does the Bible say about repentance? So many verses. I'm glad you asked. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus preaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye therefore and believe the gospel. Acts 3.19. Peter was preaching. And look what he had to say. In Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Peter said this. Repent ye therefore and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. See, whenever you repent, that's when your sins are blotted out. When Christ died at the cross, we'll get into that more tonight if I get that far. If not, we'll do it tomorrow. When Christ died, he made an atonement for sin. He died in the behalf of sin and on the behalf of sinners. Accomplishing the governmental purposes. And we'll talk about that more. That's why you need to come to revival. Because you're going to miss out on some of it. I'm only going to let you get in a little, a little close there. I'm not going to go in all the way with it. That's a whole other sermon. But my point in saying all that is. Your sins, your personal sins are not blotted out of your uh, account before God till you repent and believe the gospel. There are people presently in this world right now in this community probably a stone's throw away that presently set under the wrath of God. 
John 3.36 says, He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son shall not see life. But what? The wrath of God abides on him. Not Not whenever he dies, all of a sudden God sort of gets a stirred up emotion. They are presently procuring wrath. Romans 2, the Bible says, after your hardened and penitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. To those who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, everlasting life. But to them that are disobedient and do, do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, indignation from God and wrath. What are you storing up? What are you treasuring? What is your life like? What is the repentance? Do you have biblical repentance? Have you yielded? If you have, we'll get into the details here in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Paul appealing to King Agrippa. His mission was to preach repentance. Acts 26, 16 to 20. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you'll perish. The son of God. Whenever I go out and open air preach, I have a banner on the banner, it, 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 okay, it's a little bit, uh, it, it's a little bit fiery, and I mean that literally. It has flames on it. It's an attention getter. And on the front, it says Jesus saves from hell. And on the back of it, it says repent or perish. And I cannot tell you the amount of good-meaning Christians come up to me. Where is that in the Bible? Repent or perish. That's so judgmental. That's so hateful. I say, well, let me turn it to it. Jesus said in Luke thirteen three, unless you repent, you're going to perish. Where's our, where's the Jesus of the Bible in our contemporary mindset of who he is? He's the king of kings, uh, his qualities, his attributes, who he is as God and who he is as governor over us, whether you like it or not. He has full authority and right to tell you, you need to repent if you're in your sins against God. Paul describes the process of repentance when he discusses repentance of the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 through 11. I, I love these verses here. One of the best. One of the best. If you have a memory book at home or cards you memorize Bible verses on, this is a one you want to hit. And 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Now I rejo- uh, Verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. There's two different sorrows here when it comes to repentance. There's sorrowing because of what you've done to God, godly sorrow. There's sorrowing for what it's done to you, worldly sorrow. What it's cost me in life. There's a selfish repentance that is no repentance at all. For remember, repentance is a forsaking of the selfish intention of heart. Someone can come up here and pray, oh God, save me because of what it's cost me and what it's done to me. That's why when someone comes to seek God for salvation, we really need to sift that out in all of their motives and why they're here and what they're praying for. Because they might be up here for every wrong reason possible and leave the altar and say, well, I didn't feel anything. And, and then they go on a few weeks later and I'm not sure I'm even saved. And all these sorts of things. And they have no assurance probably because they ought not to have any. We have to repent out of an unselfish purpose of life. When I repented truly for my sin. And I told God many times prior to genuinely being born again that I was sorry. But none of that was ever repentance. I really repented when I saw what my sin had done to God. How unreasonable a life that I had lived. And that I needed his mercy. I did not deserve it. And I cried out to him because of who he is. And what I had made myself. And I saw he was worthy of my love. And I yielded all my heart and soul to him I did not want to live contrary to him anymore I forsook self in repentance that's genuine biblical repentance with all these examples in the bible of repentance where's repentance in our pulpits today I don't hear many songs being made about repenting of sin I don't hear many sermons preached on the repentance of sin You watch Christian television and tell me how often you hear a sermon on hell or the repentance of sin. Very rarely. Maybe never. 
Depending on who you're listening to, this is a problem because this is the message of the cross. This is how we respond. This is the word of reconciliation. Repent ye therefore that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from God. So what is implied in biblical repentance? Remember, I told you earlier that one of the base words for our English word repent is metanoio, which means to take an after view, a good long look to reconsider your life, to seriously contemplate where you stand. In repentance, one reflects on themselves and realizes where they stand and acknowledge it to be so. In repentance, one acknowledges reality. Some of us go to hell and people have because they refuse to acknowledge reality. God's claim over their life, that their deeds were displeasing in God's sight. The Spirit of God dealt with them for years, and they continued to abstain from listening and abstain from listening. They refused to come to grips with reality and alter their own hurt. For as we discussed last night, God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God has done all he can in reconciling man and exercising a loving government over us, and man resists it. Number one, what is implied in biblical repentance In repentance, one really takes a look at themselves. One begins to see themselves as truly selfish. And that this life of selfishness is sin. They begin to acknowledge that it is right and even their duty to love God and obey God. And to enlist in His service. Which is something they've always known in their heart but never obeyed. The truth that one ought to serve God is a first truth of reason. Everyone knows it. And the Holy Spirit comes to show us this responsibility. John 16 verse 8. And God sends a Holy Spirit filled preacher to remind people of that responsibility. Romans 10 14. Number two. Biblical repentance implies a conviction that God is wholly right. And the sinner is wholly and completely wrong. All excuses for sin are abandoned. It implies a thorough taking of all the blame for sin. It implies a deep and thorough abasement of yourself in the dust. A crying out of the soul to God. And a turning of the soul to God. Conviction takes place in the mind. The thinking part of our brain. As the Holy Spirit deals with us according to truth. The emotions may become stirred to this. uh, Producing feelings of remorse, guilt, condemnation. But neither the conviction in the mind nor the emotional response from the Holy Spirit's dealings with you constitutes what repentance is. Repentance is when the heart gives way when the heart yields up the white flag and turns to God. This is an action of the will and constitutes biblical repentance. Evangelical repentance can take place with little display of emotion while other people's may have great swelling emotion. Yet unless the will of the individual turn to God, conviction and emotion are all that is left and do not constitute what repentance actually is. What good does it do to feel certain thought, uh, feel certain emotions and think certain thoughts when you still disobey God and you still disobey God and you're still an enemy of his ways and you're still doing contrary to his will and you're still not doing nothing to glorify him and you still don't care about walking with him in fellowship. What is the point whenever you're still in marriage but you don't seek your spouse, you don't seek God together, you don't even act like you care, you never come home, you're, you're not even around. Tell me how long a marriage would last built on such a foundation as that and then you expect by that type of life to be in good standings with God? I, uh, Paul Washer once said, I'm not for his theology, but I liked what he said here. He said, you give your job, your employer, the same effort you give God, and how long would you be hired? And I'm not saying that to be mean. That's binding on me. I don't get out of this. I don't get a pass because I'm a preacher. I'm under greater and sterner judgment for being a preacher. Every idle word we all speak. And I speak a lot of words as a preacher. I'll give an account for the judgment seat of Christ. Number three. Repentance implies taking an intelligent view of one's life. With the consequent loathing of oneself. And a shift in how one relates to sin. Where sin was once loved. Now it has become hated. 
When you see how bad your sin is, how much it's disturbed the happiness of God, how much it's hurt your, your, your family, your neighbor, your spouse, your children, how much all that you've done has been such a threat to the happiness and peace of the universe. What a public threat that it has made you and how it has hurt all people you've come into contact with. Worst of all, injured God and grieved his spirit. Then by all means, when you really repent, how you view your sin from the past should be totally completely different that's just part of the that's the part of the that's part of the system here that's the that's just normal but for a lot of people today that's a big thing to ask of them that's that's going too far preacher this is too radical this is just normal whenever you say i do to your spouse you forsake what all others I mean, whenever a person joins a pro athlete, a sports team, he's not going to play for any other team. He's playing for that team. He does everything he can that that team ought to succeed. He stays up night and day. He seeks, a, he seeks to eat right, live right, gets up early, stays up late, misses out on time with family. He does all he can to see that his team make it to the big game. We mosey in the church, barely read our Bible. May have prayed early last week or halfway through the week. This is not repentance and God will not accept it. He will not accept it. He will not accept half-hearted, lukewarm salvation. He will spit it out of his mouth, he said in Revelations. And so he sends us, and I believe this sermon's on my heart for a reason, in that I am trying to convince you what biblical repentance looks like now. Biblical repentance is a forsaking of self, and it looks like this, a turning of the heart, a change of relationship to sin. All sin becomes hated, both in oneself and the sin in others. Sin has become to the repentant soul an abominable, th- abominable thing, which it hates, just like Jesus hated iniquity. Hebrews 1.9 Manifesting an opposition to every form of sin. Repentance implies a peace of mind. Peter mentioned that one of the results of turning to God was the answer of a good conscience. 1 Peter 3.21 Through the blood of Christ and our repentance, we can have our conscience purged. Hebrews 9.14 With the resultant life of living without offense towards God or men. Acts 24.16 It is natural to be in right fellowship to God. It is unnatural to be in sin with all that it brings. When one turns back to God as their conscience and reason demands, they have the resultant peace of mind. When I live normally, I don't have no problem with the police. You see what I'm saying? You drive the speed limit, you stop at the signs, you give your car when they ask you for your card, you say thank you for being a good police officer, you don't have to have any problems with the police. It's whenever you're you're loudmouthed and sarcastic and, and doing things you ought not to be doing, that's when you stir them up. You see what I'm saying? You do what's right, everything's okay. You don't do what's right, everything falls apart. It's the same thing with God, including the peace we ought to have and live and abide in. Uh, we are to follow God's peace. When he leads you in peace, you know it's his ways. You know it's where he'd have you to be. When the conscience is disturbed and guilt reigns and remorse is uh, binding on your soul, you can be sure you're in a place that you need to get out of or have deal- dealt with. Or seek God for. To find that peace that is available to Christians. Number five. Repentance in it. Uh, repentance implies in it a willingness to make restitution. As far as one is able. This is a big part of repentance today that has been forgotten. It cannot be said of a person. If they're truly repentant. Who neglects his duty to restore what he has injured, robbed or stolen or cheated. Wherever his ability is able to make restitution. Many have come short of true conversion or biblical repentance because they were prideful and unwilling to restore what they had broken and make amends for what they had done in the past. We say, wait a second. I mean, God forgives me. What if It's not saying everyone else has to forgive you for what you've done, but you need to do all you can to make correction for what you've done. This is implied in it. A change of heart towards sin and a change of heart towards how we once lived will imply the regret and remorse for what we've done and for who we've hurt. And we should naturally, being restored back into a state of love, want to make that right with others. 
I was a mean kid in high school. I, 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 we, we, had, we had our little clique of friends, and there was one or two of them that we really picked on really bad. I mean, we pranked them and messed with them, and I mean, it was really, it was really, I mean, it was evil in the sense of how we were, were with them. And, and we picked on them, and we called them our friends, but we surely didn't treat them that way. And, uh, and uh, I had to go back and tell them I was sorry after I got saved. The Holy Spirit showed me I needed to. That I had to do it. It was part of my obedience to God to make restitution where I was able to do so. And if I resisted God there, then I began to resist Him in some point of my salvation experience. And wherever you resist God is the first step of falling backwards in God. We must always say yes in all that He shows us and all that He asks of us. So what of, what of this uh, principle of, of making restitution? We see it all throughout the Scriptures. I apologize, I'm working up a sweat and gray is a bad color, so. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 30 and 31. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. But if the thief be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. What of numbers? In the book of Numbers, the Bible says this of repentance. Amen. Everybody, uh, is any of this helping anybody? It's a quiet crowd this morning. Numbers chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Talking of making rest. I understand this is Old Testament. The principle stands. Whenever I really repent, I want to do this. That's what I'm saying here. Not that me doing this saves me, but it comes as a part and parcel of my true repentance towards God. Numbers chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Speaking to the children of Israel, when a man or a woman shall commit any sin that men commit to do a trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty, then they shall confess their sin which they have done. And he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he sinned against. Making restitution. Ezekiel 33, uh, 14 and 15. We see the same principle, and I love this, this verse especially. Ezekiel is one of my favorite books, uh, by the way. Uh, it has so many great principles we build our lives around and helps us structure our seeing of certain uh, biblical things. Uh, Ezekiel 33, uh, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says again, When I say unto you, the wicked, thou shalt surely die. If the wicked turn from his sin and does that which is lawful and right... Yea, if the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing a sin, he shall live, he shall not die. In his repentance, it seems to imply making restitution is a part and parcel of genuinely submitting his life back to God as much as he is able to do so. Sometimes you're not able. Maybe the people we've heard have passed on. Maybe the people we've hurt won't have anything to do with us or talk to us or be around us. We send them a letter, a note, a card. They won't respond. Everything, it's about having a heart of intention, a heart of love to make that restitution. And God sees that intention and that's acceptable in his sight even when other people may not work with you. You see what I'm saying there? This repentance, this restitution was implied in Zacchaeus' repentance with Jesus. When Zacchaeus sinned and Jesus come to him, said, I'm going to your house today. And, and Zacchaeus repented towards uh, the Christ. Uh, Zacchaeus is standing there talking to Jesus in Luke 19, verse 8 through 9. And Zacchaeus says this. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by lying, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation. Come to this house for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man is to come to seek and to save that which was lost. All we, is that part of our repentance? Or, or do we have that heart desire to follow up in all that we can to make right our wrong and where we have outstepped God? And, and that's just part of it all. Number six, since repentance is a turning of the heart and not merely a thought in the mind or a clamor in the emotions, it can be said repentance also implies a change of outward life, a change of our conduct. Since it is out of the heart which flows the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23, and the heart is the embodiment of what we mean by the seed of our actions. Jesus said in Matthew 15.19, 
the Christ is talking here, talking about our, our hearts. He says, out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Now, I work in the medical field. And, I, and I've done stuff uh, with and around the heart. And now I work in, in things that primarily deal with the brain. But I used to work with the heart. And in all the surgeries I've ever seen with the heart. And all the dealings I've ever seen with the heart. I have never seen murder in that heart. Or the adultery. Or the fornication. Or the theft. What it means by this is not that your literal pericardial sac possesses fornication. It means your will The heart and the will are synonymous. Out of your choice of life, the intention of your will, why you do what you do, the seat of your choosing faculty, that you choose, and it's out of that choosing, the essence of it being the heart of man, the inward, the seat of man's will, proceeds these evil things. And so, if the heart is changed, the seat of our actions, if that in you has turned to God, then so ought the consequent outward life which flows from it, which flows from this changed heart. Why is that so confusing? We think that somehow or another expecting a new life out of a new birth is some odd sort of thing. You see, it seems to be so odd. Our perspective of it is so weird when it comes to religiosity and Christianity. When we think about natural things, it's no, it's no shock. When a baby is born, it ought to be hungry. It ought to grow. It ought to mature. These are normal, expected processes. Where is this at in our Christian world? What of your life? Okay, where are you? Where is your soul in this understanding of biblical repentance? Have you forsaken self? Have you turned from the life of sin, which is pleasing oneself against the love you ought to show to God and your neighbor, and turned towards loving God and towards loving your neighbor with all the strength of soul, heart, and mind you have? Is this not occurred? If it's not occurred, be sure you've not repented. And be sure the words of Christ still binds on you. Unless you repent, you shall perish. You shall, you shall perish in that state. Consequently, because of repentance, all sin is forsaken. The penitent soul, the repentant, don't merely repent of some sin. A little here, I'll give up a little there. But they repent of all sin as a unit. You see, some people get confused on this point. They say, well, you know... I'll give up my adultering this year and I'll give up my drunkenness next year. I'll give up my drugs this year and maybe next year I'll give up lying. That's not what repentance is. This is not a half in, a half out sort of business here. And we'll, I'll read a verse in a second about that. Sin is, a, is, is embodied in this mindset, this idea of a heart commitment to self-gratification. It is a unit of, of heart persistency. And whenever one repents, he wants to repent of all sin. He gives up this ultimate intention of sin in all of its ghastly forms which it manifests. Be it selfishness of, of adulteries, pornography, drunkenness, blasphemy, drugs, lying, cheating, stealing false witnessing, manipulation, all these uh, ways of spirit that puts us up above others and in control and sin towards them in God, that as a unit of sin is forsaken. All of it. Every bit of it. And nothing less than that is acceptable. If, if there was a spouse who was cheating on his wife and he had two or three girls on the side and he told his wife, well, there's three on the side, I'm giving up two of them. Ladies, mothers, is that going to do? Why would that be acceptable with God that you keep your pornography while you give up your drinking? Or you keep your marijuana while you give up your smoking cigarettes? Or you give up this, you give up that thing, or whatever God's dealing with your heart on at the time. It doesn't suffice to give up just a little when only peace comes when we give it all. It would make no sense to do that. For it brings us our own, it hurts ourselves So Christ, as pastor was saying, he's trying to heal you, free you of all your bondages and struggles. 
Sin is selfishness, is a purpose or intention of heart. Holiness is likewise an intention of the heart. A loving and a wise purpose for living. As such, when one repents, they repenting of sin as sin. And all sin as far as one knows to give it up. There has been a lot of confusion and false teaching on this point today. That one can be called repentant or say they have repented while persisting in active rebellion against God. A little here, a little there. Jesus said it this way. In Matthew chapter 7, that's a hard-hitting chapter. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 to 20. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree, it brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. We're not talking about trees and plants here. It's an understanding and a a, a comparison that we might get it. He's talking about souls. I tell you another really beautiful book is 1 John. Ooh, that's a hard one. That is a hard one. And in 1 John chapter 3, we see in verse 8, He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. In this the children of God are proven and who the children of the devil are. Whosoever does not do righteousness is not of God. Neither he that does not love his brother. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Righteousness and love, right there in comparison. Sin and selfishness compare with the life of the devil and being a child of the devil. That's hard. That is so black and white, I can't scrub that out of my Bible. And neither can you. Sin is forsaken as a whole thing, as a vile thing. And wherever we find it, you know, after I repented, uh, when I was first genuinely born again, there were attitudes, heart attitudes in me. I had not yet come into contact with, nor was I aware that they were in me, till after I was saved. And after I was born again, I realized there was conditions, and there was heart attitudes and, and ways of being in my soul that I had to consistently have a, a willingness to repent of as it showed itself. That I had to have an active life of yieldedness to God. And whatever shows up, as moments come by, I give it away. I used to have a mouth that was as wicked on me as anyone can ever imagine. I was raised in a non-Christian home in in many senses. Uh, My family are now saved, but I carried the foul, wicked language. And I remember I'd only been a Christian about a year. And I hit a deer on the way to work. And I, I didn't say nothing. I, I, it scared me. It cost $2,000. It was a new car my mom and dad got me for my graduation present. Three months later, I hit another deer. And I, I remember sitting there, and I was so angry. I just wanted to say something so bad. And I, I bit my tongue, and I wanted to say it so bad. And, uh, and I said something I shouldn't have out of anger. The Holy Spirit showed me I shouldn't have said it. And I repented to God. I'm like, God, I don't ever want to do anything outside of your will ever again. Forgive me for that. It was like there was no satisfaction in it anymore. There was no pleasure to it. What this scripture is saying in 1 John is not necessarily that you cannot sin in the sense you don't have the ability to do so. We have the ability. I can choose tonight to go out and kill somebody. I'm not going to. Don't worry. But I have the ability. I could do that. I could be unfaithful to my spouse. I could go out and get drunk. I could go lie, cheat, and steal, and rob. I could forsake the ministry and turn from God and go back to the world. I have the potential here. But the cannot sin is in that love now reigns in the soul. And it hinders me from acting outside of that principle. I see the wisdom of the life of God and the ways of God. And I realize that's the only way I I ought to live. I should live that way. Living in sin is stupid. That's what I realized, and that's what begins true repentance. A brother of mine in Christ, a brother named Jesse Morrell, he says it this way, if you don't repent of all sin, you don't repent of sin at all. Number seven, and I'm closing here. 
Finally, repentance implies a full trust and hearty confidence in God in all things. It implies not only that God is right in all of his controversy with sinners, but also that also that the heart is yielded to the conviction and has dedicated all interests for time and eternity into his hands our whole life. Repentance is a state of mind that implies the fullest confidence in all the promises and threatenings of God. It is the repentant soul, those who have yielded their will and turned to God, that subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned to flight the armies of aliens. Hebrews eleven thirty three and 34. Not talking about aliens in the sky. Talking about waging war for God. Early Christianity understood this. They turned to God. It was lock, stock, and barrel. When they turned to God, it was the den of lions. When they turned to God, it was the Roman Colosseum. They were literally fed to lions for people's entertainment. And we're not far from that here. They're getting that way. You see the vileness of sinners today towards Christianity. Any principle of God, they hate it. And they hate it more and more as the days go by. Which means our nation is ripe for, uh, ripe for a revival. Really. The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. The brighter the saints shine. So we just need to shine. We need to shine. But they understood repentance was everything. It was all of me. They lost their jobs. They lost their families. Their children were killed in front of them. This happens in other countries today. They take their kids and shoot them in their heads right in front of their parents and say, deny Christ. You know that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That song was made out of a missionary whose family, in each verse he sang, was systematically murdered in front of him. They killed his wife, then they killed his kids, then they killed him, and they recorded his words as singing each verse. The world behind me, the cross before me. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? That was his final verse before they killed him. This is real. This is serious. It's not a made up story. They, he sang this song as his family was killed in front of him. What had he found in Christ that was worth forsaking all? That his family was willing and saying, we will go to heaven. Now is a temporal time of suffering. This is light afflictions in comparison to what we, will fa- to what we uh, uh, could have endured. Uh, uh, God is faithful even in these moments. They forsake life for God. This is what Christianity is. This is basic 101 Christianity that we forsake all for God. He's a precious jewel in a field and we pursue that. I'm working on getting there. I have a new baby. And if I had the ability, I'd do about all I could, including probably killing in order to protect him. That's the truth. I'm working on getting my soul right. You see what I'm saying? My heart, my intention is a yieldedness to say, God, in all things that glorifies you, I deny myself for your honor and sake. This is Christian repentance. And I will summarize these points as I close. Repentance, one takes a long look at themselves and begins to see themselves as truly selfish. They forsake it all for God. Repentance implies the conviction that God is completely right. I am completely wrong. Repentance implies taking an intelligent view of one's life with a loathing of oneself and seeing sin now for a most bitter thing. Repentance implies a peace of mind that comes with.